0: As we continue on our series, Revolutionary Love, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be there in just a few moments. Revolutionary Love. We started looking at an introduction so we could catch this greatest sermon ever preached. We saw that Jesus did something that was revolutionary. It was a game changer. He came not with power, not with military might, but he came with a love that was inside out, upside down, backwards to the world around him. And God did things that the world thought was ungodly to get to the likes of you and I. We saw last week as Jesus started this greatest sermon ever preached, the crowds were coming together and the disciples got up close. And Jesus started off with a less than impressive introduction. It's the Beatitudes. And Jesus started with the heart. And he began to say things that didn't quite make sense to the listeners. It was a paradox. It was things that we should be happy in that don't make sense to the world. But Jesus is setting it up when he starts with our heart, when he gets our heart right, when we understand how much we need him when we understand how bankrupt we are without Him, we understand how much He has given to us, it begins to set the scene for what He can do. Jesus continues on in this passage this morning. Before we read in verse 13 through 16, there are a couple things that are probably small, but they're significant to us in our life. If we have too little of this, we complain. If we have too much, it can ruin our food. One is hardly seen, but you know it when it's there, and you know it when it's not. The other is visible during darkness. Too much of it, you'll cry, turn it off in the morning. Other times, if you don't have enough of it, you feel unsafe. It's salt and it's light, and that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage we have today. One works as it comes in contact with food or whatever substance it comes in contact with. The other one is lit, or it's turned on. Jesus tells us, you are the salt, and you are the light. Today I want to share with you this ancient formula that can turn this world inside out and upside down. But I confess to you today, I doubt that I have anything new to share with you. I doubt that there is a eureka moment in this passage of scripture that you have never ever heard before. Now if you're new to the Bible, hang on, this is awesome, you're going to love it. But the problem is, some of us are not new to the Bible anymore. And we've heard the truth over and over again until it begins to lose grip of our life. I'm convinced that it's not more instruction that we need sometimes. It's more a reminder of the truth that we already have that we desperately need. I love how one has put it that it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that give me all the problems. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that doesn't affect me or I don't live by it. That's where it messes me up. So today, though there may be nothing brand new to you, I'm convinced the Word that God has for us today, He intends to transform your life again. He wants to shake us up again. He wants to refocus us again on what it is He's calling us to be a part of. I'm going to tell you there is just two key thoughts to everything that I'm saying, everything that Jesus has said. first... It's that we are the salt, the silent work of influence, and the light, the visible manifestation of God in people's lives. That's it. We are the salt, the silent work of influence. We are the light, the visible manifestation of God in people's lives. That's it. You're dismissed. You can go home. Oh, we'll hang out a little bit longer. I mean, that's that's this truth that we know, you've you heard about, you've probably taught about, you've shared with your kids, but is it transforming us? Is it still alive in our heart today? Let's look at the passage of Scripture and let's read it together. You read along in your mind, I'll read out loud. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus is teaching in this verse 13 about a disciple's influence, a true follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ, will have an influence. Not sometimes, not just for those who are called to a profession of ministry, but every disciple will have an influence. A disciple that is merciful, that is meek, that's a peacemaker, one that has a pure heart, as we saw last week, will have a tremendous influence on the people around them who do not trust Jesus with their life. In ancient times, we see uh, salt being very important, as it's important today, even more so important then. It was a necessity of life because of its two qualities. It was seasoning and it was also a preservative. Many societies, salt was, was viewed so highly it was used as a form of money or payment. The English word for Salary is derived from the Latin word that we could get about salt, and it comes where the Roman soldiers were paid in salt, and it derives right from salary. We see that salt was important then, and Jesus took something that everybody was familiar with, and he brought out the spiritual truth. I'm convinced that Jesus was aware of these things of salt, and he chose to use this as his object lesson for a very important reason. One of my favorite things about salt is it makes you thirsty. You can't have salty popcorn without a good Diet Coke to make you feel like you stayed on your diet even though you ate two tubs of popcorn. (laughs) I mean, if you have your salty snack that you love, you've got to have something to drink with it. And Jesus is teaching about salt. No doubt there is no Diet Coke and not popcorn. But the principles of salt that he chose to use are still true today as they were then. Is there anybody in my circle of influence who is thirsting for something because of the salt effect that I have on their life? Is there anybody around you that is thirsting for anything of God because of your influence? Seasoning. We see that there is a season that comes with salt. A little bit of it can go a long way. You don't always see it, but you know it's there. Does anybody know of your influence, no matter how little it may be, are they aware of your salt effect in their life, the preservative aspect preserves food. The obvious application of preserving eternal life, pointing them in a direction because of your saltiness. Jesus says right up front here, letter A there, you are the salt of the earth. I love Jesus' teaching. He, he uses things that everybody in the crowd was very aware of, salt and light. They, they know both of those things. And he doesn't let anybody off the hook. He doesn't say, some of you... My favorite of you, the most skilled and most talented of you, those who work the hardest will, he says, you are the salt of the earth. He's not letting us off the hook. He's saying you and I, those who are disciples, those who are followers of Jesus, will be the salt of the earth. What did Jesus mean by this statement? This silent witness of a Christian, of a disciple of Christ. It's an influence we have on other people. He's emphatic about it. He doesn't say you are the earth. He said you are the salt of the earth. And it leaves two possibilities for us. Either we are his salt or we are the world. Somehow we get this idea that we can kind of stand and straddle the fence of both. Well, I'll be salt, but just not that pungent, just not that salty. I'll just kind of, kind of blend in. Jesus has some words about that. See, our influence is based in our purity of heart. Last week, in the Beatitudes, we saw that the pure heart is what Jesus is wanting to start with, and he goes through a bunch of different forms of what that looks like. Jesus has the audacity to say, after his wonderful introduction that was a crowd pleaser, if the salt loses its saltiness, what is it good for? Now, Now, did you catch this? Jesus just said, hey, you are salt, and if you don't act like you're salt... What are you good for? Ah, trampled. Thrown out. Jesus is teaching something that is not going to sell a lot of MP3s. It's not going to sell a lot of tapes and CDs. He is saying, I have something, though it's not popular, it is so important for you to catch. I'm starting with your heart. I'm going to transform you. My love is going to come into you. And it's going to change people. Now... The rest of the sermon is going to talk about how we live and what we do and what that looks like. He says, but right away, I want you to see you have an influence. Because your influence is not based off of the holiness that you produce yourself. It's based out of the holiness I put in you in your heart. The purpose of a pure heart is to influence the world. Now, there's these two guardrails that Jesus puts on the path for us. There's some who would go the way of following him, but... Their purity and heart is not there, and they have lost their saltiness, and, and they're not good for a whole lot in the influence category. And Jesus says you are to have a pure heart, not to be mixed with other things, to, to be displaced, but to be pungent and strong the way I've created you to be, to be pure. But Jesus wants us to be pure, not so we can be separated and not connected to anybody else, he doesn't call us to live a holy life so we can sit up on the shelf and be nice and we can be clean cut and we can be looking down our nose at those who don't live the way we do and we can begin to get proud and get excited about ourselves. The purity of heart is so we can have an influence on somebody else. He says, I'm calling you to something greater than yourself and it's not even for yourself. The salt is no good if it stays in the salt shaker. it's just a decoration on the kitchen table. I want to ask you a question today. You've heard a teaching about salt and light. You've read this passage on salt and light. But the question is, how is your influence, what is your flavor like? Are you being used by God the way He intended you to be used? We deny this function of salt when we fail to mingle with people who are in the world. We deny the function of salt when we fail to be kind and merciful, not just to those we like, but to those who are around us, no matter who they are. But we are not called to be drawn out from society, but to be in the world and not of it. Jesus says, this is at the heart of what it means to be a revolutionary follower of me. Sometimes, we don't like to admit it, but we really struggle in this area. Who is it that you are rubbing up against and the salt of your life is seasoning and preserving them? What's your influence? What's your favor? Jesus shift gears to verse 14 and 15. Let's look at that again. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. Jesus is teaching that a disciple has a testimony. He's talking about the disciples' testimony, what it is that they can testify to. And to catch that, the importance of the disciples' testimony is not in their knowledge of God. It's not in what they have done for God. It's in the source of the light. It's the source of their testimony. And John 8, 12, it says this, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The disciples' testimony, it's important. It needs to be there. But the source of that testimony, the source of that light, is key for this to take place. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I'm convinced that sometimes it doesn't... Rattle us to the core when we talk about Jesus being our salvation and our light because we don't fear much because we do it in our own strengths. I, kinda of self-sufficient, God. I appreciate you getting me out of hell, that's good, but, uh, I got some time here on earth and I'm, I'm doing okay with that. I like your principles because they work in business and, and, uh, When we're kind to our neighbor, they want to be kind to us, and they want to buy our product, and that's good stuff there. And so, God, thank you. And and we begin to distance ourselves from the source of what our testimony should be about. It's not about what has happened to me and how good I am now. It's about what has happened to me and who caused that to happen. What is the source of the testimony? John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ's Son cleanses us from all sin. This opportunity to speak to a world around us who is in fear, they're paralyzed by what's going on. We have hope. Not because when you trust Jesus, you don't have problems. Not because when you trust Jesus, your bank account is always overflowing. Not because when you trust Jesus, the prosperity gospel comes alive. Friends, when we trust Jesus, we have hope in the midst of financial troubles, in the midst of physical pain, in the midst of persecution. Jesus says, when your heart is right, you see me, I will give you a testimony. Some of us, were waiting for our testimony to get good. Have you heard a testimony that's good? It's interesting, I've talked to people, we don't always agree on what a good testimony is. Some of us, we like the testimony that's just riddled with all kinds of pain and and uh, gross sin and all kinds of things and they're rescued back and we go, oh, what a testimony, it's so good. I've talked to others who've lived in a life like that. They say, oh, who would listen to me? There, there's a testimony of someone else who grew up in the church their whole life, and they lived for God, and they honored Him from an early age, and they have a testimony. There's some people who say, you know what? I, I, I don't have a testimony. I'm not that talented, and I, I can't talk very well, and I don't have very much to show for it. I mean, God's helped me, but, but I don't have any influence in the way the world sees it, and so my testimony's not very good. There's others who feel like they've been used and they say, if I share my testimony, it's going to be like bragging because I don't want to do that and I should be more humble like my brother. Hey, the enemy wants you to not like your testimony at all. But when your testimony is rooted in the source of your light, it's not about you anymore. I see it as us reflecting what Jesus has done in our life. Now, I have a simple mind and some of you are way more... Uh, complex that I am And so this won't make much sense to you But if there's any simple minds in the crowd This, this helps me we, we have light from Jesus And we get all excited About sharing Jesus with someone else But we are never intended to be The light in our own strength But we are to reflect the light And when I line up this mirror I can make some of you blink I can, I can send this around the room Oh ouch, yeah, I see it See, it's a little painful I had fun early this morning. There was no lights on. I could light up the room with just this little mirror. But something happens in the early stages. We begin to see the light of Jesus reflecting off of us. And we get kind of confident. And we come down here and there's not much light anymore. And then I begin to show you the mirror of, of my life, and you just see yourself, or I get excited, and I see myself, and there's not much power in that. And the testimony we think of, it should be about you, it should be about me. Jesus says, reflect my light of what I've done in you. You go, oh, that's good. That's, that's cute, that's neat, that's something we should do in VBS. But on Sunday morning, why should that happen? Lord, I want the light to go off. There we go. It's the simple things that are so profound that we want to ignore. So many of us, we read a passage like this about salt and light and we go, I did it, I got it. I know I'm supposed to, to be uncompromising, committed to God, live a life set apart for Him and I should have a witness for Him. But something happens between that knowledge and going out in the way we live and we begin to have all kinds of guilt. We begin to think it's about some long string of apologetics and there's a place for that. I'm not putting that down. But we begin to think it's this logic and this argument that we have and we begin to try it out and people don't respond too well. wonder why. You just take the mirror and you're no longer aligned with the source of light and you're going to convince them by looking at your train of thought. But what would happen if we would say, God, I want to be your light, and my testimony is only valid if I am in right alignment with you? What if I stay aligned with you, Jesus, and and you just bounce off of me any way you want to? I'm not saying that when you are a spirit-filled believer that you don't make any mistakes, and your testimony is is flawless, and, and it's absolutely perfect. In fact, the... Non-believer and the sanctified believer, you put them in the same situation, you put them under the same pressures, you get the situation right and strong enough, they may respond the same way. Well, what do we do with that? The sanctified believer goes back and makes it right. They say, you know what? I'm sorry. I should never have said that. I should never have responded that way. I should never have acted that way. I asked God to forgive me, and I want to ask you to forgive me. God wants to reflect His light off of your weakness as much as He does your strength. In fact, I'm convinced He's waiting for us to stay so aligned with Him that our weakness is a better reflector than our own strength. I have no idea where we are in the notes, but that, that's, that fits. That's good. What are you reflecting today? Sometimes we get discouraged about sharing our faith and witnessing and being in the world but not of it because we just look at the mirror and we hope people see some kind of internal light in us. But what are you reflecting? Are you reflecting how schooled you are? Are you reflecting how refined you have become? Are you reflecting how little you think of yourself? Are you reflecting how discouraged you are for being stuck in that habitual sin? Or are you saying, God, I want you to keep me aligned with your light, and through my strengths and through my weaknesses, I want you to reflect your light on those around me. Here's one way we can know that can happen. Looking at the functions of light, every single time light does these two things. One, it's to dispel darkness. I mean, the very definition of light is it's got to get rid of darkness. We had a basement in Columbus, Ohio, and There was no windows in that basement, and it was cold, and I loved it. It was the best place in the house to nap. I I love when I'm taking a nap, I want it dark, dark. I don't want any lights on, and I want it cold, because that keeps me slumbering and keeps me sleeping. And uh, I had to do some work to make it extra good for me when I would take a nap down there. I'd take a piece of paper, and I'd put it over the little alarm clock that was there, because those little red numbers on the alarm clock once my eyes begin to adjust to the darkness, it would just glare out. It's almost loud. I'm trying to sleep and the light is just glaring at me. You know what? We need to recognize that for us to be light, we have to dispel some darkness around us. A world who has become so accustomed to the darkness, there's times when we reflect God's light that it's going to be offensive. It's going to cause people to stand back. Is there any darkness being dispelled from Christ being reflected in your life? Light not only dispels darkness, but it allows people to see. Airport runways help planes find the runway by lighting them and putting lights all the way down. Cars have headlights and streets have street lamps at times to help us find our way It's intended to help people see and sometimes we jump the fence and we say i'm going to reflect jesus everywhere And i'm going to do a drive-by reflecting offending everybody I can And though it's true that there's times when the light dispels darkness it can be offensive to that person We are sometimes more comfortable dodging any kind of relationship that we're going to do a drive-by and we don't stay there long enough for anybody to see anything. Have you come out of a dark room and then you see the sunlight and it hurts? It takes time for your eyes to adjust. It takes time for you to see what's around you. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to be salt and light, not to be impure and to be mixed with things that you're not good for much of anything as far as influence, and not to be so far the other way that you are not out in the world, stuck in the salt shaker. I want you to reflect my light and the relationships you have long enough for people to move from their offense to move to being able to see what they're stuck in. Often we don't like the next thing that's insinuated in this passage. For light not to be Hidden, it gets right to the core. Our faith in Jesus is not to be hidden, it's not to be private. You've heard a phrase like this before. Your relationship with Jesus is not private at all. It may be personal, but it's not private. And there's phrases that roll off the tongue like that that we kind of get excited about, but I don't think we really think about it. Uh, Maybe another way to ask this question is, do you plan on going public with your salt and light ever, or do you strive for isolation? And here's how you know. You get in the pattern of the drive-by. It's the bumper sticker witnessing. And if you have a bumper sticker that witnesses somehow, I'm not trying to single you out. But what good is a bumper sticker if our life doesn't reflect the same thing? What good is a Christian t-shirt? What good is a slogan pinned up on our cubicle at work? What good is it to just carry a Bible around and say, You'll know that I'm a Christian by what I carry in my hand if my words don't match the mission of Jesus. If my actions don't match that. Jesus says, Nobody turns on a light and then goes covers up the lamp. Nobody lights a lamp and then puts it under a bowl. The intention of a light is so people can see. Jesus isn't asking us if we want to. And in fact, in this passage again, he says, You are the light. Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, the deep darkness of the people. But the Lord will arise over you. His glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, the kings to the brightness of your rising. Church, the glory of God, when it falls upon us, is there anybody who's going to be affected by what God does in our midst today? Is there anybody who is going to be affected by your influence of your purity of heart today? The whole issue of light is to dispel darkness. Jesus said, every one of my disciples will be salt and light. You and I don't have light any more than the moon has its own light. It's just a reflector of the sun. Or any more than a light bulb has the power to turn itself on apart from the electricity. Jesus said... This is simple. These are things that you know about, salt and light. But the reason I start with the heart is because I want to do something big in you and through you. Finally, this last thought, we're through. Filling the earth with God's glory. In verse 16, we see that the world will be affected by the influence for the glory of God. People need to see our salt and light witness. They need to begin to see that our acquaintances with them have a seasoning and a preserving effect on their life. What is your flavor when people meet you? It's sad for me to hear that if you work in the food service industry, the worst time to be a waitress or a waiter is Sunday afternoon. (laughs) Christians are known to be very poor tippers. I'm not suggesting that all of your salt and light is based on how you tip, but I'm asking the question, what do people see of us? Do we see us trying to get our own way? Do they see us bickering with each other? Do they see us fighting over one way a rule can be depicted? Or do they see the love of Jesus coming out? Do they see us making choices for our own lives, where we set ourselves apart for God's holy use? Or do we fall into the category of useless salt that has no flavor? Also, they need the light witness. They need to see Jesus in our lives, the true source of light shining through us. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says this, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts and gave the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is not something that we thought up here at Grace Point. This is not something that our founding fathers said this would be a good idea to do in church. The God who created light said, I am going to send one to you who will turn them from darkness to light, and I want to use you. I have no idea why Jesus said he wanted to use us, but he did. When our heart is right, when we're desperate before God, we can't stay Are we going to go public? Are we going to strive for isolation? As Pastor Edgar comes, the two points I started with is where we're going to end. We are the salt, that silent work of influence, and we are the light, the visible manifestation of God in people's lives. And our response today, I want to challenge you to think about this question. In your handout, you've got ten blanks, and I want you to ask yourself this question. Who is in my life that does not know Jesus Christ is their Savior? I'm not asking you to be inappropriately a judge. It's to the best of your knowledge, they don't know Jesus as Savior. If you get talking to them and you find out they knew Jesus, then celebrate that and say, awesome. I'm not trying to judge you, I just want to share the light with you. Some of us, Look at a list of ten blanks and we go, not a chance in the world. Church, maybe we have stayed stuck in the salt shaker so long we have forgotten the purpose of God purifying our hearts. He purified our heart so we can be a light in the world. We can be salt in the world. Not of it. Not to lose the flavor he's given to us. But to affect somebody. There's others You could fill that list with names easy, but it hits your heart. You go, I don't know what influence I have on them. God wants to come back to our hearts, break our hearts, change our hearts, make us dependent on him, that we will see the world around us the way he sees them. As we hear this song, I want to encourage you, jot down some names. You may not know their first name. It may be the lady who serves me, Diet Mountain Dew, at the Handy Dandy, down that way. It's one of mine. But as we hear this song, let's let God put action to the thoughts of our hearts this morning. Hang with us. I'm going to come pray together, and then we're going to have one more opportunity to give in just a moment.